Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Six Feet Under. We've got a very special game for you today, but first, we're going to do uh, one of our regular pod chats. But first, uh, we're going to uh, introduce who we've got on the show today. But first, no, that is the first thing we're going to do. We're just going to do that now. Uh, <laughs> but first, welcome to Six Feet welcome Under. Welcome to Six Feet Under, yes. Uh, today, our crew includes myself, which is to say Ironicus, and uh, Gnome, Nate, Ix, and Drackle from the regular crew, and we have two very special guests for you. Uh, please introduce yourselves as you would like to be introduced. Uh, my name's Keith Carberry. Hi, Keith. Hi, what's going on? Oh, not much, just playing a game, happy to talk that's, to you. That's cool, I got all that stuff for this game. <laughs> my name is Phil Kohler, hi, hello. Hey. And I want to, I want to make it as clear as humanly possible right from the start i have literally never played a pen and paper role playing game in my life so if this is gonna if this is gonna go down i'm gonna be the one to bring it down i'm excited <laughs> oh, yeah. we're gonna drop space uh like mike <laughs> uh so uh keith philip yeah. what do you do and where can people see you doing it i mean if you want them to see it's it's not that sort uh, of thing is it uh I do I do let's plays yeah. uh, as Run Button with my cousin Kyle. You can find that on RunButton.net, um, and I also am on the the uh, the actual play podcast uh, Friends of the Table, hey. where we play Dungeon World. Awesome. I write stuff uh, for that game. Oh nice. yeah, yeah. It's a great game. It is. I love it. <laughs> I love it. All right, we interrupted Phil though. Okay, sorry, <laughs> Phil. Uh, I work I work for uh, Polygon.com. Uh, which is a video game website. Um, I primarily write reviews, although do, I do a little bit of everything now. And actually, lately, I'm getting into doing a, a lot of video stuff and Let's Plays. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, so uh, I'd like to thank both of you for coming and joining us in our Ashen Stars session. Uh, but first, once again, we're going to uh, talk about something that's related to Ashen Stars and a fair few other games as well. Uh, genre emulation in games, uh, how it works, how to do it well, maybe some drawbacks. Uh, so one thing I'd like to uh, bring up, the reason we're doing it for this game is because Ashen Stars is uh, an investigative-based game, but it's all about basically uh, uh, space opera stuff. You're, you're space cops, just a bunch of aliens, alien weirdos bringing law to the lawless frontiers of single-use planets. One or two of each race. One of them's the combative one. One of them's the nice one. <laughs> We've got the weird one, who's from a precursor race. And the humans. Yeah. Those are losers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they're not good or bad at anything. They're just normal. They're just default people. They're just space dandies. In some cases. Uh, but Ironicus... Yeah? What is genre emulation well uh, one way you can think about it is finding what's uh, interesting about the genre you're trying to do and making your game fit it making it feel like that uh, as opposed to just any old thing uh, yeah mm -hmm. in other words intentionally usually genres are used as kind of an end rather than a means but uh, practices of genre emulation would be reversing that and keeping in mind basically where you want your game to be categorized once you finish with it and keeping that in mind from start to finish, right? Mm-hmm. Reserving your space on the library shelf before it's shelved. 
like to start with what it isn't, I think, um, for a long time, a lot of RPGs were really bad at genre emulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a lot of RPGs that were like, oh, this is D&D, except we're setting it in space or in anime without any real thinking about like what makes that. It's just right. like, oh, you just level up in this new class that we made, which, which has guns, which totally it's makes called, it a gunslinger class. It's called a samurai. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one, there, there's sort of a three-step guide I thought of that, uh, just some questions to ask if you're looking to make a game to fit in a genre. Uh, the first of which is, of course, to identify the elements that define your genre. Like in this case, what makes, uh, space opera different from other kinds of, uh, science fiction? Or, uh, in a more confused case, uh, if you're making, say, a western or a samurai story, how do you make know that you're actually making the one and not the other, considering their cross-pollination over the years? How do you make your game feel dry and dusty enough to fit the Wild West? <laughs> that kind of thing, right? <laughs> right, right. And then the second step there is once you've identified uh, those elements that keep popping up, uh, trying to find their dramatic purpose, like why they're there, uh, what purpose they serve instead of just sort of a, a monkey-see-monkey-do thing. Because if that's all you're getting from it, then you're probably shortchanging that genre you're a fan of. Which is, yeah. that's rude to do to the things you like. Come on, guys. Uh, a definition of genres that I really like is a set of stylistic criteria. And what we're mm -hmm. really talking about here is both identifying those styli stylistic criteria and breaking them down and figuring out what they are and why they work exactly rather than just cookie-cutter taking a concept from Star Wars and putting it in your own game. Breaking right. down why you like that concept from Star Wars, what it means, what the effect on the story is, and how you can replicate that effect in your own game. Mm -hmm. Without calling it a light foil. <laughs> uh, so more like, instead of saying, oh, there is a weapon that can cut through pretty much anything except other things of that weapon, and it takes a lot of time to figure out how to use it, even though it should be the easiest thing to use? Yeah, instead it's um, the, the, style, the stylistic criteria there is that there is a spiritual class in Star Wars, a spiritual right. level of society. Yeah that certain people belong to and are considered, well, better, better <laughs> the genre. I feel like Star Wars is another good, like, negative example, because I don't think any of the Star Wars RPGs do Star Wars very well. Um, they're all very, like, lethal sort of systems based on, like, other sort of combat systems, and Star Wars doesn't really have lethality. People yeah, don't Star die Wars, in Star Wars. Star Wars is much more of a majestic character-based yeah. Even more similar to a space opera where the main the main characters survive. It's more about the characters than it is the backstory, I'm sorry to say, to the operators of Wikipedia. <laughs> There's so many things I'd like to say to the operators of Wikipedia. Yeah, but the Star Wars RPGs are all focused on like, um oh, like these are the different kinds of lightsabers and blasters you can have, and here's a list of like twenty ships. And like and that, all that is cool. Stuff. That's cool for filling out stuff later, but those aren't really stylistic criteria. Those are setting details, which are yeah. really good, fun ways to fill out the setting once you've developed it. But for the purposes of actually developing it, you should break down the stuff like, what is the feel of the genre, and how can I reproduce it without cutting 
And that gets kind of into what I really want to talk about about genres is the stylistic criteria are more or less suggestions. They are not ironbound rules that you absolutely must follow. I think it's a pretty common trap if you're in the practice of genre emulation to feel like, well, these are the rules. I have to follow every single one of them and find a place for all of them. But if you do that, you might, number one, end up creating a really restricted game with very few of your own ideas that you might not be happy with at Mm -hmm. all. And number two, people will probably just feel like, I've seen all of this before. Like, you mentioned this earlier, Ironicus, the cross-pollination between samurai movies and Wild West movies. Right. The sort of crossover between genres. You shouldn't worry too much about that. (laughs) Like, if you think... If you're making your Star Wars game, but you recently saw a really, really good... Uh, what, like, 17th century spy drama or something like that that you want to encourage elements of, too, then there's no reason why you can't combine them. Uh, Ashen Stars uh, has a good element of that as well, because it has uh, a bit of a uh, cyberpunk element in that every character is able to get cybernetic enhancements. Yeah. Whereas uh, from its main source material, that's very, very rare, and even then only for bad guys. Yeah, or for... Uh, or the or good guy the will have the that, one thing. The one yeah. thing, yeah. Or for yeah. the race where that's the gimmick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Riddick has the shiny eyes, which is everything to him, but that's all he has, and that's all, like, anyone has in the universe. But he's eyes. the PC, so he gets them. And uh, there's a sidebar even calling this out. It's like, yeah, this is a departure, but it's in order to... Uh, keep things updated with other elements from different subcategories of science fiction that are fun to play with, and they keep this from being that staid, same old space opera. Like, they just come right out and say it. They're doing our job for us, frankly. Yeah, so, <laughs> along with ident- I think along with identifying the criteria of the genre you'd like to emulate, it's probably also a good practice to identify the criteria that you would like to add yourself, even if it's not necessarily something that has been inspired by something else. Mm-hmm. Like, if you recently had a really, really cool idea for how to use a D6 in an interesting way, you should list that as one of your criteria for your game as... Literally, this game should use this mechanic in a key way. And then you can start thinking about how to tie that into the other criteria. And in that matter, criteria can pretty much be a mix of both mechanics and flavor, fluff, and crunch. Like, in that respect, Laws Out actually started with, I want to make a game based on auctioning, like bidding is the main thing. How the hell do I do that? And it worked out. Laws Out is so good. Uh, How did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> um well laws out basically uh like the core thing is that like everyone has a bunch of resources that they bid for control of the scene as we saw in the game we played before um so i think to emulate the fiction like the main thing that i focused on during that was like well first give each role like a unique cool thing so that they could always do their one thing like the baron is always spending money the devil is always offering his contracts but uh, the main genre emulation from there, I think, was in their resources, really. Because um, I think, like, the core part of genre emulation, in my experience, is, like, word choice. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the proper language that you use matters a lot. Like, the Baron doesn't just have, like, an heir. They have a spoiled brat of a child. They have a small Derringer pistol. They have a coach wagon. 
all words that make you think, oh, yes, this is definitely a Wild West setting. Mm-hmm. A waxed mustache. Right, which was wonderfully added by Wolfshirt. Um, <laughs> then, uh, like, for another example, like, to go back to Ash and Stars for word choice, like, I'm looking at this gear list right in front of me because we were picking those out a minute ago. Mm-hmm. And the, there's a list, like, here that says, you emit pheromones is the first three words of the description, <laughs> which is, that's as sci-fi as it gets right it's, there. It's a lot better than <laughs> you are smelly. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, I well, don't like, need to bring the... my real life into this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't it doesn't it just starts with, hey, this is the cool sci-fi jargon mm-hmm. that makes you feel like you're in the setting. And uh with this we've started dancing around my third point in my three step process, uh, is making your mechanics support the dramatic purpose. So uh with a game that's all about uh what you have uh, describing what you have, speaking about laws out in an evocative language, that is a mechanical choice. Uh, whereas sometimes, like you, uh, games that are crunchier, more numbers based, they can do the same thing. Like uh, you can even look up a article on the Pelgrane website about what grenades do in different gumshoe games, and because all of them are emulating different genres, they have different mechanical effects. Like uh, in some games, they automatically tri- trigger a test to dive out of the way dramatically because those are going for high-octane action, whereas in some, they're, they're more or less deadly because you are more or less able to deal with... it's a damn grenade. Yeah, <laughs> to deal yeah. with explosives depending on the mood of that game. Grenades are super deadly, but like in, in any movie you watch, the heroes are always just going to dive out of the way or throw it back like it's no big deal. Right, yeah. That gets a little bit into a previous podchat topic, designing from influences, where we talked. We're talking a lot more about genre emulation and general aspects, but uh, with designing from influence, we focused more on individual games and especially mechanic influences, right? Mm-hmm. So this is kind of coming at it from the other direction, where designing from mechanical influences, you would take mechanics that you enjoyed, and then like find other ways to kind of rephrase those mechanics but keep the spirit and similarly with genre emulation uh, we're trying to find ways to fit mechanics to criteria or stylistic choices to keep the feeling that they evoke Mm -hmm. like for grenades to keep the same feeling when you see your favorite hero in your action movie dive out of the way of the grenade you want to feel that for yourself so right. obviously grenades are going to be more about moving people around than they are about destroying walls or something. Unless, of course, you're going for something where grenades are all about destroying walls. And then it's going to yeah. be the best wall destruction. That wall the, is gone, buddy. It is gone. Uh, another fun point is that uh, to, to pick up something we left hanging in our worldwide wrestling RPG uh, pod chat, of all things, uh, while... Playing games are essentially a storytelling combat exercise in many cases. Uh, There's that connection there. There's also uh, some parallels to, say, the writer's room of a television show. So uh, you can easily just pick up and and plop in uh, background setting information that you liked as long as you know what it's for. Uh, one big thing in the Ashen Star setting is the Moalar War, uh, which is a big war that ended seven years ago, and it changed everything. 
including things in weird sci-fi ways that don't make logical sense. Oh, yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, in anything that came out after 2005, has a clear uh, uh, debt to Doctor Who's Time War. Because it serves the exact same purpose. Like you've the got same a, purpose of being the huge event that affected everybody. Yeah, like got in a, this game, every single person writes down what you did during the war. You've got a watershed moment of what the setting was before and what it is after. You've got a catch-all bucket of why doesn't this make sense? Oh, well, that's why the war. Uh, yeah. it, it serves all the same dramatic purposes. So yeah, just pick and steal, I guess. If, as long as you know what you're doing <laughs> and, and why and you're steal, doing it. Pick and steal, but don't it's like pick and steal and then pick apart and then steal. Right, right. <laughs> it's a two-step pick and steal process where you want to examine why. You look down at the thing you stole and you think, why Why was this so important? Why did I want to steal this out of all things? Why didn't I steal every spaceship looks like a telephone booth? That's just how it is. Right? <laughs> that would be the incorrect way to make a game that feels like Doctor Who. And a good way to make a game for telephone booth repairman or something. <laughs> I don't know what that would be good for, honestly. I don't know. Uh, where's Waldo, the RPG? Oh, that would be good. I want to see that now. Yeah. He's hiding in a needle sack. In fact, let's do that as an example right now. What are the elements of where's Waldo okay. that makes yeah. where's Waldo? Uh, well, you want to do something that will uh, take a lot of time that feels wasted, but is still enjoyable. You need to I have a lot primary, of... The primary mood of Where's Waldo is eye strain. <laughs> you can mechanically represent eye strain. All right, so the book is going to be printed in four-point font. Considering both of those things, the game should probably be designed so that play sessions are shorter than average because they should be short, intense bursts of activity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the other... I mean, the biggest thing about Waldo is that there are gigantic crowds, and there don't necessarily have to be gigantic crowds. There just has to be the obstacles between you and what you want in this game have to be mainly based on confusion and misdirection rather than direct puzzle solving, knowing that what you want is on the other side of this wall. And you have to make a way to find it engaging so that... yeah. Well, yeah, I was, like I was gonna say, I think the big thing to me about Where's Waldo is the fact that like all these these the book is like full of all these weird things to catch your eye while you're looking for Waldo. Like there's always that guy standing on doing a handstand in the middle of nowhere, yeah. or there's like this group of four dogs that are all like chasing each other's tails or something. Making if it was an investigative game, then the idea would be to populate it with red herrings, but make sure that the red herrings are interesting on their own merit and don't feel like a waste of time. Yeah. So if you want to if you want to go ahead and make a gumshoe version of Where's Waldo, uh, then your investigative abilities could probably all stay the same. That would just give you maybe they could, about, like, down, they could narrow down the red herrings that you have to ch- chase down, or increase the chances that a red herring would lead on to another clue. Uh, gumshoe is uh, openly licensed, and there is uh, an SRD that you can use. So yeah, there you go. All my wall. <laughs> All my Waldo people in the house tonight. <laughs> you could also use it for a lot of other things that might turn out better, but it's it's. And enough. again, I want to push this again, Waldo people. It doesn't all have to be about Waldo, you know. If there's other stuff that you also like, or even better, if you have ideas of your own, don't be afraid to put the criteria, the stylistic criteria for those details in as well. 
So yeah, then you have maybe a cool also list. like looking for people named Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> Kevin. What's so great about your friend Kevin? What is the stylistic criteria of Kevin? Does he go drinking with you? He's always, always, always at Potbelly. I never find Kevin anywhere else. And he's super quick. Like in a race, no one can beat him. <laughs> you gotta he make this game fast-paced, otherwise it's not gonna be like Kevin. But the most overpowered item will be the uh, the chocolate brownie cookie. He can't resist him. Good for Okay, I'll admit your friend Kevin is a difficult stylistic choice, but <laughs> I'm sure you can find mechanics to support the stylistic criteria of Kevin, which is also, incidentally, my band, if you'd like to look us up on Bandcamp. Okay. I'm the gonna stylistic be criteria even, of Kevin? That's correct. I don't even like Kevin very much, to be honest. Then you can make this game shit, and then... <laughs> <laughs> and then no one will like Kevin. Destroy Kevin's reputation... Yeah, uh, sorry, Kevin. A horrible gumshoe game about him. Oh dear. This okay. isn't a good plan. Get your revenge on Kevin some other way. Um, so, what else can we talk about, Sean or Emily? Uh, one thing uh, to go back to Gnome's point about choosing your language, uh, and also how uh, all gumshoe games are very are emulative of different things. Uh, they also all have different uh, skill lists. And each one is, of course, very tuned to their uh, to, to what they're trying to emulate. Like you won't be reading bio signatures or uh, Zeno culture uh, uh, stuff when you're uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or when the you're history, Daru seems pretty useless outside of Ash and Stars. Right. J- yeah. Just like you wouldn't need to know vampirology outside of Night Bl- Night's Black Agents. Like it. This reminds me of another good point, though. Um, if you're looking at your list of stylistic criteria and you're thinking to yourself, uh, if I make this, it's just going to be this game or this game or this movie and it's just not different enough, then there's always uh, the idea of, you know, challenging yourself in creation by introducing random elements. And I think that's especially easy with uh, word choice like Gnome is talking about. Just go get a dictionary off your shelf, uh, flip to a random page, pick the most interesting word on that page and try to make stylistic criteria based on either the direct definition of it or the mood that the word evokes like swimmingly noir (laughs) swimming noir swimmingly noir noir that goes swimmingly that would be a good game that would be wow yeah that's that's already an evocative genre in my head i'm thinking of a noir that like it goes well (laughs) there isn't there isn't something betrayed around every corner you're you're suddenly in uncharted waters already really a really mysterious yet still upbeat almost like earthbound i would say everything is kind of mysterious but at the same time it works out it's gonna be okay yeah sometimes you you just fight a dog two random words and we've created the next hot property that we're going to be millionaires off and we can finally stop this podcast (laughs) (laughs) so uh as we move into final thoughts does anyone have a game that we have or haven't mentioned that you think uh, it does this very well, or not even necessarily a game, just something that gives tribute to a genre and is like, yeah, you got what you're going for. I'm going to go with Boktai, because yeah. it's, a spaghetti, it's a spaghetti western game that's all about vampire hunting, and it's very, very well done. It really, even the music really captures the feeling of dry, dusty, almost hopelessness in some portions. Mm-hmm. It... Boktai definitely blends a lot of different genres, and I think it does it very, very well. And I can't wait for Boktai 
five, the Phantom Dame. <laughs> Although, am I allowed to give a video game example? Absolutely. I mean, that's what Boktai is, man. Sure, well, I guess that's your follow-up question. Yeah. When is this podcast going up? Uh, a month or so from now. Oh, cool. Okay, then we're good. Uh, Bloodborne. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Bloodborne's one that I find really interesting because if you've played the Souls games uh, from software, it's kind of stuck to traditional fantasy stuff but um, with a little bit of darkness here and there. And mm-hmm. then in Bloodborne they kind of embrace this like gothic horror feeling and um, it turns out that works in, in my opinion even better with the mechanics that they've created. So um, it, it goes from being a kind of dark fantasy to a dark dark story almost yeah, exactly you know? exactly it's, and and uh and that whole like the the uh difficulty of those games feels yeah. like fits so much better in that gothic me- horror setting the mechanics do a lot to fit in with the hopelessness yeah. of the story in those games and one of the few in- new mechanics that they introduce is uh basically a system whereby you can um hurt yourself take damage in order to create ammo for your gun um which is just a, like it's just all these yeah. things that feel really like they fit into this setting um in such a clever way so it's kind of been a subplot of a lot of our pod chat so far uh, the synergy of crunch and fluff you mm-hmm. know they don't yeah. have to be totally separated in fact it usually works out for the best when you consider them both equally yeah Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I realized uh, a bit into that that at some point I had muted myself to cough and then I was saying stuff and was oh. muted. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. It sucks. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I was just, I was just saying shit about so. KOTOR 2 again. <laughs> it is a good Star Wars game. I think I, I, always, I usually spend like all my time talking about how that's my favorite game, uh, but I was actually going to criticize it for even though it's able to take the interesting things about Star Wars and pick it apart and then show why a lot of those are totally garbage. A lot of the things that are good about Star Wars are actually, you know, like poisonous to Star Wars expanded fiction stuff. Um, but also, it's wrapped around a game that isn't conducive to the, how well that game portrays its universe. I think the downside, I'm, I haven't played the second, but if the system's anything like the first, it's just way it's too similar, D&D yeah. to, to be Star Wars. It, it is, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's almost the same combat system, um, but it is... It, I feel like the second one takes a lot of the really interesting ideas that the first one had about like why Star Wars isn't cool, which Star Wars is like my favorite thing, but also it's not cool. Um, like I remember very specifically the first KOTOR game has uh, a moment where they explain why the Jedi Civil War is called the Jedi Civil War, and it's because regular people don't understand the difference between the Jedi and the Sith, uh, <laughs> which I thought was like a really interesting, like, oh yeah, like... They're all, it's it, like, no one gets it because it's such an insular community. They're all magic assholes, They're as all far as I can assholes. see. Yeah, they describe it at some point as, like, it's just two sects of, of, uh, of, a, of a, like, a, a zealous religion. Um, and then the second one kind of takes that one idea and runs with it in a really the cool Jesuits way. The Jesuits just started shooting lasers at the Franciscans, <laughs> and it's all monks to me. Mm-hmm, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to answer my own question and say uh, I really enjoy how Monster Hearts uh, I mean what's a good game that does X? Monster Hearts is probably going to come up all the time. But, yeah, it's probably the best example of a world game that basically completely nails right. its setting, its, uh, its genre. And one point that I 
think in particular it, the reason it does is because so many of its moves key off of and their uh, uh, results go into emotional states and dramatic stakes rather than uh, results. Yeah, r- rather than you know, yeah. Like my external favorite bit results. About it. Yeah. Yeah. Like Can you give an example that's... for those unfamiliar like me? Yeah, um, uh, like, there's the move turn them on. Yeah, I, I was gonna go uh, shutting them down. Uh, yeah, both <laughs> both work. We can use both. Um, but like turn them on, like the the result is that like you get them all hot and bothered. It doesn't tell you. It doesn't tell you what they do. It doesn't make them do anything. All it does is get them hot and bothered, and you're at fault. And then they have to react with that knowledge. Well, and, all right, that's some example. Yeah. <laughs> And shutting them down also equally like um, it's a, I, if I remember correctly that's a way to like cut them off from getting strings like it takes strings away from them mm-hmm. and strings are the core mechanic where uh, by like two people they work like heat in uh, world wrestling actually where it's the relationship two people have it's the strain between them right and shutting them down is really like no 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 we're, you're not you don't have any power over me I'm not letting that happen. And the reason this works for supernatural teen romance is because even with all the violence that happens, the violence isn't what matters. It's the emotional fallout that comes from it. You're supernatural teens, damn it. You have lots of feelings. It's it's all about the feelings. And most of you are immortal anyway. The violence is completely meaningless. (laughs) And there's going to be a lot of feelings that pile up when you're immortal. It's I know for a fun, fact, actually, because of the mortal character playbook is probably the meanest of them all. Nice. Like, they do nasty things to the undead and whatnot. Well, and, like I this think... isn't the hunter killing them. This is just like the regular mortal person who is just codependent, with uh, who will yeah. codependent you to death. Well, I think at this uh, point <laughs> we're going to have to promise a monster hearts bonus feed. Oh yeah. Anyhow. Uh, any more final thoughts on uh, genre emulation in games? Um, my final thought is actually that Monster Hearts is so good at its genre emulation that it makes me uncomfortable and I never want to play it. <laughs> but I appreciate what it does and I like the game a lot from a design standpoint. Alright. I'm just thinking about being an immortal teen. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'll sum up by saying that uh, genre emulation, even for all the things we did say, uh, to think in a uh, mercenary sort of way, it's also a really useful tool for selling your game. Uh, yeah, you know like we the touched f- on in yeah. Feats 101. <laughs> you know the stuff you like about this, you can now experience it with my game. You know, it's an easy pitch. And, yeah. But key to making that work is knowing why you like X or knowing why the conventions uh, keep popping up, the, the convention that's, that you're using. And being able to design your game to, to maintain that. You gotta do that and not just say, hey, it's Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, with that in mind, we're going to take a quick break and we'll see you in that next file in your, in your list that you're looking at. Uh, the one that says we actually start playing. That's where we're going to see you again. So uh, good night, folks. Good, good night. night. See you soon.